welcome to Beyond the Stitch, where we talk about the human side of fashion, work, and all things good. I'm your host, Veronica Marinin. I'm a little sick today, um, so bear with me. I know I sound stuffed up um, and a little bit like an old man, but I'm here. We're going to do this. <laughs> Just a little bit about me. I studied fashion design and entrepreneurship at the Fashion Institute of Technology, and in January of 2020, my friend Olivia and I founded an ethical clothing line called Litany. Um, we basically wanted to make clothing that speaks to the soul, um, something that truly took care of not only the person wearing it, but the people who made it. Um, and yeah, and then COVID hit. So we designed our first collection over Zoom. And then we launched it a month before Olivia entered religious life. Um, so she became a sister with the Dominican Sisters of Hawthorne, New York. Um, and she knew she was going to do that. That was her plan. And that's why we started Litany when we did and kept going even when COVID hit. And I'm so glad we did. Um, because now while she's caring for the terminally ill with the sisters, um, caring for patients' bodies, um, we're still connected to her and caring for people's bodies through the clothing we make for them. So, um, yeah, we're, we're growing. Life is happening. Things are good. And, um, I'm sitting with my coffee on my couch. Um, so I was really nervous to start this podcast. Um, and so I actually called my mom and recorded a segment with her, or I thought I was recording it. Didn't actually record from what I can tell. Pray to the Lord that it actually did and I can share it with you guys. But um, I basically talked with her a lot about her own experience of forming a life um, that is supported by her work instead of a life that supports her work. Um, so basically what it means to to work to live instead of living to work and um, her own experience with that and everything. And she dropped some truth bombs. So I'm really hoping that I can share it with you guys, but I will do my best to relay what she told me. Um, so my mom was a journalist um, when I was young and also a single mom. So my first dad um, was born with a congenital heart defect and he was only supposed to live two weeks, but he, lived a long and full life and um, fell in love with my mom, got married, had me. Um, and he passed away when I was almost two. My mom said, I think I was 21 months. I don't under, I maybe I'll understand when I have my own kids, but i still do not understand why people <laughs> label their kids by months after a year. I'm like, just say a year and a half. I'm confused. Or like a year in this many months. We can't all do math as well as you. Um, Anyway, um, but yeah, so she shared a lot about what that experience was like for her. And I've always felt very supported by my parents in my career. Um, so my mom remarried when I was seven. She started dating my second dad when I was five. He asked to adopt me. I now have an 11-year-old brother and an eight-year-old sister. Um, and my mom called me from the parking lot of the baseball place that my brother plays baseball at. Um, I don't know what you would call it, like a camp. It's not a camp. It's like a, a place with fields where children go and practice and play. Um, so he had batting practice this morning and my mom called me from the car. And um, and I was just really moved too by the fact that my brother's 11 
And when he said he wanted to be a baseball player, my parents took him very seriously. And not in the way of like, okay, here's all the things you have to do and you must be successful at it. But like, in a, okay, cool. If you really want to do that, here's some ways you can do it. You can join the minor leagues. You can get paid to play baseball. You can get your college paid for afterwards. Um, and, you know, they drive him to batting practice at like 7 a.m. on a Saturday morning, um, which I'm not surprised at because they used to drive me to art classes um, on Saturdays and Friday evenings after school and all this stuff. Um, I don't know if you can hear my cats fighting in the background, but they are. Um, they both want like this spot on this pile of fabric scraps that I have that I should throw out, but I have it because they like sitting on it. Um, and the bigger cat, Maisie, kind of is very dominant and she's, you know, slapping the baby around and letting her know who's boss. Um, <laughs> and the baby's climbing, climbing under the sewing machine. All right. We're, we're doing this. Yep. Um, it's not a crazy cat lady until I have three. That's what I keep telling myself. Um, whether or not that's true is beyond, beside the point. Um, but <laughs> okay, so, um, yeah, so my parents got married when I was seven. And I decided pretty, I used to make these cardboard dollhouses in the basement for my Polly Pockets. Like I would get up before the school bus early in the morning to make these things. And I decided, I heard on a radio show at some point, we were like driving home at night and my mom put on some kind of radio show where they were interviewing someone who stages houses for them to get sold. And I was like, wait, is that a job? You can like literally get paid to decorate a house? And my mom was like, yeah, it's called an interior designer. And I was like, there's a what? So I was obsessed with becoming an interior designer for a while there. I really, really wanted to do it. Um, and my parents took me seriously and they said, all right, if you want to do that, you need to go to art school. To get into art school, you need to have a background. You need to have a portfolio. And to have a good portfolio, it helps to have a background in fine arts. So you should start taking fine arts classes. Um, and they did some research, um, let me choose the studio that I wanted to study at, which is also very privileged. I'm very aware that a lot of people are not able to do that um, and very grateful for my parents being able to provide that. But regardless, my mom, even before we were able, even before my parents got married and money was less tight. Um, my mom really made an effort to basically support me in the ways that she thought were good for my education. So I went to a Montessori school for a while when I was younger. Um, and she just, she just liked the way that they taught. She thought it was valuable and important. Um, and that was a priority for her. Um, and that was part of the way that her supporting her life with work. It was part of how that looked like. So it wasn't just her, what she wanted to do, but it was also taking care of me, um, which means a lot. My cat is now climbing up the windowsill. There's going to be a lot of cat commentary in this. Um, so I hope that's okay because they do very ridiculous things, especially when I'm not paying attention to them. And you might hear some noises, so I don't want you to think that, uh, anyone's in peril. It's literally just the cats being cats. Um, the baby is right now 
on the top, on the back of the armchair, unaware that her tail is attached to her body and it is in fact not chasing her. And I think her tooth is stuck on the chair. All right. She's good. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I would probably not be sitting watching my cats right now making a podcast if my mom and my dad had not done that for me because I I deal with anxiety pretty regularly um, and I have what is it I have depression OCD and ADHD um, go to therapy and medicated for for them but um, because of that, it's very easy for me to be like, I just want one way to do my life. I want to know how I should do my life and take care of it because then I'll be taking care of everyone else and everything else. And I won't be letting anyone down. Um, and so I think I would have ended up in a job that I really hated and a career that was really like unfulfilling, um, if my parents hadn't been so supportive of me in that way. Um, and wouldn't be doing this, um, yeah. So my, so like I said, my mom's a journal. Well, she was a journalist. Now she homeschools my siblings. So she has degrees in journalism and communications and then her master's in education. Um, and she, what did she do? She worked at a couple of magazines. She talked about exactly what magazine she worked at when we talked on the phone earlier, which was really cool to hear. I never really heard her career like lined, lined up like chronologically like that. Um, so I really hope that it recorded, but I have a feeling it didn't. But, um, but so she did that. She also worked as an adjunct professor at her alma mater, at her alma mater. Um, and she, what else did she do? She worked in the communications department there for a little bit. So she'd like bring me to work with her. I'd fall asleep under her boss's like desk. <laughs> there was like this little shelf under her desk and her name is Rita. One time she said she like was like, where's Veronica? I looked under her desk. I was like asleep on this little cute shelf. And I remember that shelf. I remember thinking it was the cutest thing in the world and I wanted to take a nap on it. Um, but it really, I think it really made, I would have to ask my mom if I'm right about this, but I would not be surprised if being a single mom and needing to work for people who understood the need for that flexibility um, and like that humanness of like, you know, is it all right if I bring my daughter along with a coloring book while I work today? Um, I think it really helped her choose employee employers and people that she wanted to work for who supported her as a human um, because she wasn't just a pair of hands to type, um, but a person with a life and a life that needed to be supported by that work. So I used to come along and... Uh, um, yeah, I'd braid my American Girl doll's hair in, in her office, um, when she freelanced at this small publication, um, called The Long Islander. Um, and that, oh my gosh, it was unrelated because money was tight. I remember my mom saying to me, you know, I, she was like, what do you want from Santa this year? I was like five. And I was like, American Girl doll. Cause all my cousins were getting them. Thought it was the coolest thing. Had no concept of money. And my mom was like, well, you know. Santa might not be able to get you the big one, but he might be able to get you the small one, you know? And then my uncle called on the phone, who was my first dad's brother. He was a biker. And he goes, hey, baby girl, what do you want for Christmas? I'll tell Santa. And I was like, an American girl doll. And I remember my mom being like, no, like, like making the motion of like, 
don't tell him that over the phone. Like, and my dad's family spoiled me. So I got an American Girl doll for Christmas that year. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was another thing. My mom just kept me very involved in my dad's family. Um, so I never felt like my dad wasn't a part of my life growing up. Um, even though he had passed away, I've always felt very close to him to the point where like friends and family who like, you know, people who marry into my family, stuff like that, think that I was much older when my dad passed away because I talk about him like I knew him because I feel like I do know him. Um, and obviously as a practicing Catholic, I believe that he is more alive now than he was then. Um, but yeah, so work, supporting our lives with work. Um, yeah, so my, my dad is a, my second dad is a physicist. He does all of the calculations to build particle accelerators. Um, so <laughs> that level of like minute dedication, he, he, all I, all I really saw of his work growing up was like, he was very chill in how he dressed for work. He was probably the best dressed there, but he wears like different muted shades of LL Bean khakis and like button down shirts to work every day. Like that's his wardrobe very much a uniform kind of guy this long crazy evil scientist hair um that he grew out yeah maybe like seven ten years ago um but because he is so so logical and scientifically minded he very much took that approach to helping me figure out what i wanted to do with my career um so and he never made me feel like fashion should be a second choice i i dealt with a lot of I know a lot of my friends in high school dealt with their parents saying, okay, like you love theater. That could be your minor. You should really do a business major, you know? Um, and I'm very, very, very grateful that my parents were like, all right, either you're going to do it or you're not going to do it. Like no half-assing this, your whole ass or no ass. They didn't say that. My parents do not say the word ass. They would probably kill me. My mom will kill me when she listens <laughs> to this. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, just doing things with the entirety of your person. If you really want to do it, go for it um, and figure out a way to make it work. And so um, I really realized how rare that attitude was when I was applying to colleges because a lot of my friends were being encouraged to not really go for what they wanted to. Understandably, their parents were concerned and, and wanted them to live a full life that they could support themselves in. Um, but I've also seen friends who have really gone for it. My friend Danielle's an actress who went and was like, all right, I'm going to do this. She studied acting in college and, you know, was on tour with Fiddler on the Roof for the first year out of college. Um, and it's like supporting herself, you know? Um, and I think, I think it's really valuable to give ourselves the tools that we need to support ourselves with what we love because our lives are meant to have purpose. Um, even our work, you know, our work is meant to support our life and it's not meant to be divorced from it, but it's also not supposed to be the entirety of our life. That's something that I dealt with a lot in fashion, um, was this attitude of, okay, you got to volunteer for fashion week and like fashion week is insane. Um, no one gets paid. I'm probably going to get like blacklisted for saying that, but it's true. Um, and uh, you just run around like a chicken with your head cut off. Um, it looks like fashion week is going, is going down the drain a little bit. I will miss the 
the showmanship of it, but it wasn't, it wasn't something that could last the way that it was run. Basically it was running on depleted individuals who were exhausted. Um, so hopefully we'll have like, you know, the art of it without all of this exhaustion that it runs on. Um, but I remember I took a year off of fashion or I thought I would, um, after losing my first job, I worked at a hijab company right out of college. Um, and I got fired from my first job out of college, which was very humbling and like kind of, kind of shook me to my core. And at that point I had been already working internships and jobs all through college during the semester, during the summers, I was exhausted and I felt like I just, I can't believe that I did all that and worked so hard and did so well throughout college and then got fired right out of it. And so I, it was really like, it really took a, took a hit to my belief in myself. Um, and so for a year, I just basically freelanced doing photography, which I had picked up as a hobby during college, um, and figured out how to support myself with that, which has been hugely helpful in starting Litany, um, as a way to provide some income for myself on the side. But, um, but I had a friend of a friend who was assisting on set for a photo shoot for Print Vogue Hong Kong. Um, and she basically was like, they need another person on set. Do you want to be a part of this? And I almost said no. I almost said no. Um, cause I was like, I'm not getting paid, you know? Um, and then I had a moment where I was like, all right, it's a Saturday. I wouldn't be doing anything anyway. I might as well give it a shot and see how it goes. And it was one of the best decisions I made. And I did not know, I, I would not suggest taking on lots of jobs where you don't get paid, but this ended up being really good for me because I met these stylists who we were assisting named Tiffany Asmus. Well, hopefully I want to, I want to interview on here at some point, but she is wonderful. And she showed me a lot of how it looks, a lot of what it looks like to be a really good manager and boss in fashion because the industry is so cutthroat. It's so exhausting. It really demands a lot from you to the point of it not being healthy. And it's really hard to meet people who truly want to get to know you, who truly care about your needs, your emotional, physical needs, supporting you, all this kind of stuff, advocating for you. Um, and she does that. And so I've, I've assisted her on a bunch of different things, um, particularly for a brand called Fleur et al. And the thing that really moved me was once, so she wasn't paid for that shoot. I don't even think the models were. That's just, it was like exposure, you know, which is bullshit. Anyway, <laughs> what did I just say? Um, but she, her husband made us tacos after because she was like, I know you guys aren't getting paid. Like, I know you're really exhausted. My husband's going to make us dinner. And we went over and had dinner at their house. Um, and he figured out like an out, al- he tried to figure out like an algorithm to make it the most efficient route for me to take all of the, accessories and shoes back to the different um what's it called the different PR agencies the next day um which was just so like it was so cool to see um he's an engineer and see someone really take fashion as seriously as their own job when it's such a like um it's a job that everyone takes seriously you know engineering and sometimes people don't take fashion that seriously and he really took her seriously, us seriously. Um, it was really cool to see. It was very pumped for us. Um, because it was her first time styling something that was going to be in print. 
Um, and she, the next time that I worked with her, she reached out, um, the company said, okay, this is how much we can afford to pay you. And she basically said to them, all right, well, I will do it if my assistant gets paid the same amount, which blew me away. This is not normal. This is not normal in the fashion industry. I'll bet you it's not normal in a lot of industries. Um, but she, first off, she had a really good, like professional friendship with the people who she was asking that from, which was something that really moved me working on set with her was she, she really respected them professionally and really trusted them professionally. Um, and so they trusted her too. And that attitude really, I think, um, brought her to people who were good for her to work with. Um, and so I loved working with this team. Um, and it was just really, really cool to feel validated in that way that someone thought my work was as an assistant, you know, was valid, valuable, worthy of compensation. Um, and that they like respected what I was doing and were grateful for it and wanted to make sure that I felt that and was able to support myself. So, um, that was really cool. Tiffany's awesome. Um, she also just had a baby, which is really cool. Um, shout out to little Leela. Um, we could take that out. That's kind of weird. <laughs> um, but, Anyway, <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, so I very much had a difficult time, not a difficult time, but I was very thrown when I first started at FIT as a freshman at just how much was expected from students that was not healthy. So it was very common for students to stay in the studio till like 3, 4 a.m. on a school night when they had to go to class the next morning to like come up with this really amazing, you know, project. We basically took 10 classes, I think. I think that was my second semester. I think first semester I took nine classes um, because basically the classes were less credits um, so that they could pack more in. I do not regret it. It was such a good experience. It was also, it really made me decide on my priorities. So Maybe first week I was like, all right, my priorities have to be my faith life and my mental health and then school, you know, like my career, my schooling needs to support my life, not the other way around. That's what I want. And I need to work accordingly. So I would basically block off Saturdays and just work all day Saturday. Sometimes in the afternoons, I would stay late after class if the classroom was open and just finish up my work then. Um, and that was really helpful to me because it was very expected that students would just go into like intense sleep deprivation, trying to come up with the coolest thing possible for um, an assignment. So I was very comfortable, you know, learning. I knew what I, I knew that I was learning um, the same amount, even if I wasn't um, <laughs> showing it as much, even if I was getting B's, you know? Um, and, I did manage to stay in the honors program with that though, which was really cool and also super, super enriching. Um, but yeah, um, it really made me look at like, basically FIT had to close the studios at a certain like wee hour of the morning because they were, I think at some point way back when 
either someone had gotten hurt because they were sleep deprived or they were worried about someone getting hurt because they were sleep deprived and they didn't want to get sued. So they closed the studios at a certain time. And I know Parsons, where Olivia studied, Parsons, the new school for design, um, they didn't, like their studios were open all night long. Um, and I, so I studied fashion design for my associate's degree. And then at FIT, it's, you get your associates, then you go on to your bachelor's and you can get your bachelor's in two years. Um, and so you can continue in fashion design or you can switch to another major, another school. So I realized I was not good at math, not good at business planning. Um, did not know that I had ADHD at that time, but it makes a lot of sense now. Um, and so I basically was like, I need to learn how to do this. Um, and so I transferred to the entrepreneurship department for a bachelor's degree, which was a great decision as much as I really, really, really wanted to learn how to like hand sew lace and leather and all these really cool things that you couldn't all these really cool classes that you just were not um, eligible for unless you were in the major. Um, it's okay. I don't regret it. It was a great decision. Um, but if you ever, cool thing about FIT, if you ever want to take certificate classes, even as a non-full-time student, I'm pretty sure, you can take these nighttime certificate classes. So I got to take a class on haute couture techniques. Um, I think I took two of them. Um, my friend Carrie Ann took like millinery design so there are like options available, which I kind of figure I kind of figured out a way to get the experience that I wanted from my bachelor's degree um, while also getting what I needed to, um, which was the understanding of how to run a business, how to start it, what that all looks like. Um, but because Olivia was studying fashion design for her bachelor's degree, because Parsons is just a straight up bachelor's program, um, it got really intense and she would be up in the studio till like really late hours. Um, I remember going and like helping her trace patterns, um, one, like on a Saturday with our friend Nicole, because it was just like, it was just chaos, you know? Um, and the things that they expect of these students, it's more than God expects of us in our relationship with him. You know, it's, it was just, it was this unhealthy kind of worship that, um, I really, I really didn't want to become my life, you know? Um, not that Olivia was worshiping fashion or anything. She was doing the work that she was expected to do, and she did a great job of it. Um, and her senior thesis was actually inspired by the Sorrowful Mysteries of the Rosary. I should, we should put that up somewhere. Um, but, oh my gosh, it was just really cool. Her professors were not sure about it. Um, and they would be like, this is like, I don't know, you know, this seems kind of too religious, too weird. But then she would come to class with these beautiful things and these beautiful designs. And they, they had nothing to say. Like they just, she got a great grade. They, it really was like, just, all right, I'm going to let the work speak for itself. And she was very good at that. Very good designer. Um, and that's part of what made starting Litany with her such a treat and so wonderful. So like I said, in the intro, she um, became a religious in October of 2020. She's going to receive her religious name soon. So pray for her. I'm really pumped to hear what it is. Um, but she basically in studying at Parsons, she got this very good, um, design background, this very good sense of how to explore a concept and turn it into something. So like we did a, um, a capsule collection at one point, which is basically like just a couple of looks, three or four looks. Um, and 
it's like the idea of like a capsule wardrobe. Um, and we did it for this symposium on modesty at FIT that we were invited to, which was really cool. Um, and we designed three looks inspired by the first joy, first three joyful mysteries of the rosary. And she was like, you know, I've been reading the read of God, which is a great book, by the way, it's about Mary. And she was like, you know, talking about, you know, God unfolding through Mary. And I was thinking we could like make a garment that like unfolds and like each look could unfold more, you know? So we made this dress that like you could pick up the hem and fold it in all these cool ways. Um, and our friend Lynn, uh, modeled it at the show and she literally, she walked out with it all folded up and unfolded it out, out on the, on the stage. And it was really cool. But that, that kind of stuff, like sometimes I do get a little, like a little bit of, um, what's it called? Imposter syndrome in designing without Olivia, because she is just so good at coming up with this stuff. Like so good. Um, but the thing that I learned at FIT, FIT is a very, um, very much a practical school. I'm forgetting the words that, I'm, that I usually use. Um, uh, don't remember. Basically, oh, FIT is a very construction-based school. So you learn how, you have to know how to sew to get into the program. You apply to the design, fashion design program, whereas Parsons, you do a, um, a foundation year of just art in general. Um, and we learned how to sew like a pair of pants, our first, like a very well-tailored pair of pants, our first semester. Um, <laughs> Olivia can't listen to this, so I can kind of, I can kind of, uh, tease her about this. But, um, I remember one year she was like, she was looking at these pat- patterns on the floor of the Catholic Center at NYU where we worked a lot of times. Father like let us set up a sewing machine in there, which was just so good because it could get really exhausting and isolating just working in this studio day in and day out where it's crowded and, um, students are all stressed. So we got to go places and like hand sew in the chapel, which was just great. Um, but I remember her looking at these pants patterns on the floor and being like, Monica, how do I sew pants together? (laughs) Um, and I never let her live that down, but, um, to her credit, her, her like detail to when she sews is impeccable. Like I'm, I very much had to learn this, like, you don't fudge it, you know, you, you create this very good pattern and it will last you. And you'll, I don't know if you can hear my cat, um, but she's very dedicated to this detail oriented, very careful, um, and considerate way of putting together a garment that really, really formed me. And when we started Litany, so she knew she was going to become a religious sister when we started Litany, um, And so she was working at Zach Poson, which is a designer who is in New York City or was in New York City. He still exists. The company doesn't, though. And she she was working in his design house as um, a member of the production team. So basically the people who take the designs and then interact with the factories to make sure that it's possible. So they're the people who look at, like, exactly how long each zipper on a pair of pants is going to be. Um, how you get the best price for, if you could hear my cat jump on the floor, sorry. Um, how you get the best price for a certain lining, um, where to source, um, a custom print, all of these kinds of things. And they're the people who basically make these like huge spreadsheets, um, that make everything possible. So she worked in the production department and one day they just told everyone, I don't know, am I going to get in trouble for saying this? I don't know if I'll get in trouble for saying this. Um, 
one day they just told everyone don't come back on Monday. <laughs> and it's like her job was gone. Um, and so, yes, they liquidated the company, I'm pretty sure. But um, she lost her job and she had a year left before she entered religious life. So she was like, "It's I really don't want to. Basically, I don't want to be purposeless for that year um, and just nanny. And at the same time, I really, it takes a lot of effort to assimilate into a new company, you know, um, and to do that, just to know that you're leaving is very exhausting. Um, and to work for just another designer who maybe you love the work that you do, but, um, there's no sense of mission behind it. She was like, I just really don't want to do that. And I was like, so, you know, that, uh, that business plan that I made for my thesis, I, uh, I fixed it up a little bit. Do you maybe want to read this over Christmas? <laughs> so she looked over it during Christmas, prayed about it, and then we decided to start Litany in January of 2020. Um, my uncle helped us set it up as an LLC. Um, he's our accountant, um, which is pretty cool. And her dad is also an accountant too. So that was hugely helpful was having people in our corner who knew what we needed to do to actually set it up as a business. Um, and then there was a, um, a lawyer who her dad had worked with a little bit, who helped us set up for a very reduced price, basically these legal documents that we needed to start the company. Um, and he provided us with stuff for like hiring new employees, all those kinds of things. And so when we hired Michaela for the customer experience manager position, um, and then later on, I don't know if you can hear my cats. I'm so sorry if you can. Um, and then later on, when we hired Rachel for the same position after Michaela moved on, um, we had these, you know, these documents already ready, which was so helpful. Just things that like, as someone who did not go to law school, we, we did not know how to do. Um, and so it was just super helpful. Also, what was very helpful was this lawyer, his wife was in fashion design. He had worked with designers before, or at least people in fashion. So he knew particularly what we would need, which was great. So those are all things if you're interested in doing this yourself someday, those are all really helpful things to look for. Um, and uh, yeah, that's how we started Litany and COVID hit. Um, Olivia moved back to Arizona to be with her family. We were like, oh, it'll be a month. You know, you'll get an extra month with your family. No, we designed the whole collection over Zoom. We like would sketch things and then put them on Google Drive and send them to each other. We would like video chat while we draped on the mannequin. Um and that was how we made the Lord's collection. So um, we also, so we did that. We have this, we also learned how to use this pattern making software called StyleCAD. Um, and it's a very, it's a very nice software in the sense that it's, it's very intuitive. It works like your pattern making by hand, which a lot of these bigger um, pattern making softwares like Gerber and that kind of stuff that um, these bigger designers use, they're, not so much that way. It's a lot of coding from what I understand, a lot of spreadsheets and StyleCAD is very much, it's much more, it's much better for, um, it's much better for designers because if you learned how to make patterns in the, I don't want to say classic way, but, um, basically by hand, um, draping on a mannequin with muslin, which is this cheap untreated cotton fabric or, you know, on paper. Sometimes you'll drape on the mannequin, you'll transfer it to paper. Sometimes you take the measurements from the mannequin and you go directly to the paper. But either way, it's very visual and StyleCAD is also very visual. So that was hugely helpful. We took a lot of time learning how to use that. 
Um, and basically being able to create a production system in-house that now as we're growing, we can go and basically transfer to, um, a production partner. So it's really, it was really important to us that we understood the inner workings of how, how our patterns were being made, um, how our costing system was being done. So we did all of that for the Lloyd's collection and the Verdant collection. Um, and then we started working with a second factory during the Verdant collection. Um, and now we're talking with different production partners. So people who work basically as these liaisons for multiple factories. So, um, depending on how many garments you're making at once, they can help you get basically partnered with a factory that is going to be best for you and best for them for that particular project. Um, and so talking to a couple of different people right now and the fact that we made our own patterns at the beginning and made our own spreadsheets for costing of like how, how much are all the buttons, all the buttons for each garment, how much are the, uh, is the fabric for this garment. Um, it not only helped us be more transparent with our customers, we were able to put a costing, um, breakdown basically on each garment. So if you click on each of our, um, each of our like pages for, I don't know, the jumpsuit or whatever, if you click through the photos enough, you'll get to a picture that is basically our cost breakdown. So it shows you how much we spend on fabric, how much we spend on notions, which is stuff like thread tags, um, buttons, zippers, um, how much we spend on paying people to make it, um, and what our overhead, um, or markup is basically to make sure that we're paying our employees and growing as a company. So, um, yeah. So being able to fully understand the inner workings of that while starting Litany at the beginning, it was a lot of work. Um, but it really, enabled us to be more transparent with our customers and also to be more, more knowledgeable about what we were asking a production partner to do and what we were inviting them into um, when we start working with them. So all cool stuff. Um, but yeah, so Olivia knew she was going to enter religious life and we, she still, you know, she knew she was going to enter religious life and she still you know, basically created something that she knew she was leaving, which is a huge sacrifice. Um, and also very exhausting to spend a year, like starting a business that, you know, you will leave. Um, and so it was such a freaking gift, um, for her to give to me and, and to, you know, this dream that we had together. Um, so yeah, it's very, very cool, very exciting. And freelancing helped a lot with both of us knowing what we were doing when we started things like the photo shoot, being on set as, a, as an assistant stylist um, on a really well-run photo shoot where things are, there's a shot list, um, people know what they're looking for, um, everyone knows their job, you stick to a timeline, all this stuff. Um, it really helped me run our photo shoots for Litany in a really concise way and then even teach other people how to do it. Like Michaela ran our verdant photo shoot amazingly. Um, and, and I don't think I would have been able to communicate to her how to do that if I hadn't learned from someone else who did it really well. Um, so yeah, so that was really cool. Um, I also learned quite a bit. There's a swimwear company. I'm pretty sure. So they closed during COVID. I'm hoping they reopen. I'm really hoping cause they're very great. 
um, really quality stuff and a really fun team, but, um, they're called flagpole NYC. And, um, they basically design They're they're, it was started by two dancers who grew up together in Florida and can you tell them from Long Island? I say Florida instead of Florida. Um, <laughs> but basically they, um, wanted to make swimsuits that you could wear all day, similarly to a leotard. Um, and so, cause they love going to the beach. They also love dancing. Um, and they wanted to be comfortable like all day long. Um, and so they started this swimwear company with like really high quality materials, really great manufacturing, all made in, 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 uh, New York. I've been to all their factories, um, interning with them. And, uh, they, um, and one of the things that they did when I interned with them that I really, really appreciated, and I think is something to really look for in new employers, um, whether it's an internship or a job is they asked me, what do you want to get out of this? What are some things that you want to learn? Um, and that's something that I ask people on our team now. Um, we have a marketing intern named Maeve who, um, just does an awesome job. Um, but we, but basically what they did was they asked me to organize all of the expenses for photo shoots. So they were a bigger company. So they would actually like, like, ship people out to do some of these photo shoots. They were higher volume, more expensive and everything down to what snacks people picked up along the way was documented. Um, and the person who ran all of that had been in production and film before. So she really knew how to run, um, run a photo shoot, run a video shoot in a way that was like really well documented. Um, and so being in charge of organizing, what she had created for that really showed me what a call sheet should look like, which is what you send out to everyone um, that gives them all the information that they need for the day when everyone needs to be on set, all that stuff. Um, and like the information for everyone, even like where the nearest hospital is because God forbid something happen. Um, and all of those things really, I didn't even realize it at the time. I wasn't picking up these jobs thinking that, Oh, this is, this is the missing piece that I need to learn how to do this for running my own business. I was just like, I want to intern with a small clothing line and learn how they do things. Um, so helpful. So, so helpful. Um, but yeah, being able to work with people, being, being honest with myself early on about what my desires were for my career, that I wanted it to support my life and not, for my life to be at the beck and call of my career, really, especially in a really cutthroat industry that's very fast paced, like fashion, really helped me meet the people who would be good partners for me and who would teach me what I needed to know to get to that goal. So I took on jobs like with Tiffany, where people actually cared about their life more than their work. They love their work. They're very passionate about it, very driven. And also, it's not their reason for being. Um, and so that kind of brought me this whole community of people who basically taught me what I would need to do to live a life like that. Um, and uh, seeing my mom do that when I was younger, I think really is what just made that something that I naturally knew I wanted to do. Um, and I have a, I have an email that I'm going to close out with, um, that 
I would like to share with everybody. So um, I found this in the basement of my my parents' house a couple years ago. My mom basically gave me free reign over all the family photos and stuff when my dad passed away. Um, and so about, it's gotten to the point where like once a year I go through everything. Um, and a little while ago I found this printout of an email that she had written to, I suppose like another, um, another journalist who had like, you know, kind of was looking for someone for interviews or whatever. And I don't know why my mom printed it out. I'm so glad she did because I keep it right next to my front door now. Um, and it really reminds me that work is meant to be human. Um, and that working in a fast paced industry like fashion, um, it's possible to do it in a way that supports not only my humanity, but the humanity of the people around me, my employees, the people that we work with, the models we work with, the people that we serve, the women who wear our garments. Um, and uh, it also just makes me feel very special and loved and you'll see why. Okay. So she starts it out by saying, Carolyn, who I guess is the name of the journalist. I'm not sure if I would fit your profile about women simplifying their lives, but here's my story. I'm a 29-year-old mother of two-year-old Veronica. She is the light of my life. My husband, Colm, and I always believed in caring for her ourselves. We hated the thought of daycare. When she was born, Colm was finishing school at night and adjusting to a heart arrhythmia problem that he developed as a result of two heart surgeries and a combination of serious congenital heart defects. I returned to work as a magazine editor two months after Veronica was born. Colm watched her during the day and attended class at night and on the weekends. I commuted an hour and 10 minutes each way to Manhattan from Long Island. When Veronica was a year old, I was laid off from my job and Colm finished his degree. He found a job three months later, which was perfect. I began freelancing part-time. I would work early in the morning and while Veronica napped. Life was good. Then a few months later, Colm began having more serious arrhythmia problems. His cardiologist scheduled him for surgery to have a pacemaker installed. He did installed. so well and never complained about the intense pain he felt. Because of his unusual problems, the pacemaker could only be installed by opening his chest and laying the pacemaker lines directly on his heart. He smiled and joked throughout his hospital stay and recuperation at home. Then, about a month later, he was readmitted to the hospital with congestive heart failure. Doctors administered different drugs to relieve the fluid around his heart and sent him home. Two weeks later, just a day before his follow-up office visit was scheduled, Colin passed away peacefully in his sleep. I'm grateful that his pain is finally over, but I miss him terribly. I have had to make so many changes in my life since that time. Instead of returning to a full-time job, I have decided to freelance full-time as a writer and editor. Work has been slow, but I'm confident that things will pick up soon. Every time I get discouraged, I imagine working for someone else. Publishing, as I'm sure you know, requires long hours. I think about Veronica getting off a school bus in a few years. Do I want her greeted by a babysitter or me? Clearly, I want to be there. 
although I must bring her to babysitters now because two-year-olds hate when their mommies talk on the phone or work on the computer. I know that we will reap the benefits of my independent, home-based work in a few years. We will be able to have a life together. We will be able to have a life together. We may not have fancy cars or a beautiful home. We're still in a one-bedroom apartment, but we will have each other, and that is much more important. Carolyn, even if you cannot use my story, I would love to hear from you about the work you do. I'm always looking for tips from ed other editorial types. Thank you very much for your time. Sincerely, Michelle Marinin, Freelance Writing and Editorial Services, ammarinin at aol.com. You're worthy of supporting yourself through your passions. Um, your desires are good. You're worthy of a life filled with purpose that supports yourself and the loved ones around you. You're capable of that. Um, and just know that we're rooting for you here. Um, next week, we're going to probably talk about something else fashion related. Let me know what you would love to hear more about. Um, but I'm so grateful to you for being here. Can't wait to talk about something else next week. Um, and I'm really grateful for you. And yeah, we're all rooting for you over here at Litany. Hope you have a great week.